Welcome to another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. My name is H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto and chief quality officer for the Baptist system. And hey, everyone, I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. Well, guys, today we are so excited to have on our podcast Dr. Jack Billy. Jack is coming to us from Michigan. Um, Dr. Billy is a general internist, and he was the creator and developer of the Michigan Quality System, which they implemented at the University of Michigan 20 years ago. He also, he's retired now, but he continues teaching and mentoring uh, lean principals uh, in the healthcare setting. So uh, Dr. Billy, Jack, as you like to be called, uh, once again, welcome to the podcast. Um, Thank you. Tell us a little bit about how how you got interested in in lean. You know, 20 years ago, there you know there were only pockets full of lean being applied in the healthcare setting, and uh, and uh, obviously the University of Michigan was one of those. Uh, tell us how how you got into that. Well, uh, so I was uh, being a general internist, uh, Jake may uh, sympathize with this and HFU as well. Um, I was uh, kind of an intuitive problem solver. You know, my office was the only one in our ancient building where the blinds worked because I'd get up there and tinker with them. So no matter what the problem was, I was always in there kind of messing around. But I never knew there was a basic science to problem solving. I thought it was just something you picked up on your own by uh, by doing it. Um, and then I snuck into a, a session uh, with Gary Kaplan, who was the CEO of Virginia Mason. And uh, he, in this session, he described uh, the Virginia Mason production system, which they had learned from some Boeing escapees. Uh, they had had some really difficult financial times. He was brought in as the CEO. Um, he discovered uh, the Boeing, Boeing production system, and they essentially uh, imported that into healthcare being one of the first and still best uh, early adopters of lean thinking in healthcare. And so he was um, an alum of the University of Michigan. I uh, crashed the dinner with him and the dean that night. Uh, We then walked to a bookstore, Borders Bookstore, the original one, uh, and I bought a copy of Lean Thinking, read it that night and said, I'm burning the lifeboats. This is all I want to do for the rest of my life Uh, because I realized that uh, you could actually learn this stuff. You could do it better. You could teach it to other people and you could try and help lead it and create an environment in which that occurred. Um, so uh, so we began um, very small. I called everyone I could find in the country who was doing this in healthcare, um, folks at Park Nicolette, um, uh, at, um, the, the uh, folks in Theta Care in Wisconsin, um, in um, Denver. So we, we learned, we tried to find out what they were doing Um, And uh, then I was talking to a a colleague from General Motors and they said, well, we use lean thinking everywhere, Uh, GMS, their global manufacturing system. So uh, we uh, reached an agreement with GM where they gave us facilitation for about six workshops. Um, And so with that, we got off and running uh, and essentially gave us our bootstrap. Uh, You know, so in the beginning, we figured, well, you know, everything's broken. So how are we going to fix all these broken processes? And we said, well, why don't we train everybody? Then they'll fix everything. And so we began with sort of a massive uh, 
training experience. And, um, you know, we realized that a lot of those people, uh, they were trained before they really knew what to do and how to do it. And so it was like creating inventory. Training ahead of time was like inventory. So we tried to figure out how to do um, much more sort of just-in-time um, training experiences. Um, so, but that's how uh, we got our start. And, uh, you know, we made every mistake that I can imagine and uh, um, uh, so, some that I'm sure I still don't even recognize uh, as we went along. And, and so when you say we, you're talking about University of Michigan. Is that where you were yeah. at the time when all this happened? Yes. Okay. Yeah, thanks, and, Jake. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It, we were at the University of Michigan, a large academic medical center. One out of every thousand dollars in healthcare uh, in the United States is spent at the University of Michigan, uh, and so uh, I felt like my job was to drag one academic medical center kicking and screaming across the quality chasm. Um, and you know, how are we going to get every worker uh, and every leader to? cooperate in that process. But it was, yeah, it was at the University of Michigan Health. And we had had a, a deep dive into total quality management under the sort of Deming model using Florida Power and Light about uh, in the 90s. But then that totally went into the wilderness and all the people who um, had worked on that were doing other things. So we had to try and find these folks who had learned about this and bring them back, you know, recruit them back in. Yes, it's safe to tell people you did this uh, mm -hmm. and to uh, re-engage them. We found many, uh, many leaders who uh, had gone, gone subterranean because that was out of favor for a couple decades and we brought them back in. Well, you know, it's very interesting and I want to dive into it a little bit more. So you were an internist who got interested in lean and then somehow you were able to you know, completely engineer and take over, you know, design the, the quality system for, for Michigan. How, do, how does an internist exert that influence over a, a system like Michigan over time? And, you know, how did, how did that play yeah. out? So, um, you know, we uh, use the concept of pull-based authority for a lot of this, which is there were, there were problems lying around that were um, – recalcitrant. Uh, people were so frustrated. They had worked so hard on them for so long and not really made any progress. Um, so we bootstrapped it essentially, as I said, because I had, um, so I was in an administrative role at the time. I was uh, okay. associate dean for clinical affairs. Uh, so I wasn't just, you know, a line internist, uh, um, but this was not my portfolio. So I went to the dean at the time and said, I want to uh, jettison uh, a lot of my uh, current portfolio, move that on to other people uh, so that I can um, spend time trying to understand this and trying to bring this into the organization. And um, it was really hand-to-hand -hand combat. We would go sort of area to area. So uh, um, HF, uh, you know, being a surgeon, so I went into the ORs uh, and I talked oh, that's with dangerous. the guy yeah. who was then the uh, head of the um, operating rooms and anesthesiologist. And he told one of my colleagues who then told me, well, he told me to my face, we don't make effing automobiles. <laughs> and then um, he told my colleague, he said, we can do some of this stuff, but I have two conditions. We never use the word lean and Jack Billy can't go in the OR. <laughs> and so I said, no problem. And so uh, 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 Mary Duck, wonderful uh, um, lean practitioner, still here, operations engineer. She did a lot of great work in there. Um, and, you know, everything everything we touched 
of course, some things went well and some things uh, crashed. You know, we had our children's operating rooms, uh, the, the head of pediatric surgery kind of glommed onto this thing and said, this looks really good. So his goal was to try and have first case start time, uh, you know, be on time. And so I get a page from him at uh, about eight o'clock one morning. The first time in the history of our children's hospital, all the pediatric cases started on time. So uh, what happened? They all backed up in recovery because they never had them all start on time before. So they would like dribble in and they would be able to handle them. But once they started making some improvements, then they began to see when the next problem was, where the next bottleneck was. So practically everything we worked on, um, some good thing happened. But from my perspective, the most important good thing that happened was a few leaders emerged out of each of these initial efforts who said, this makes sense to me, like that pediatric surgeon. Um, you know, this is, I can do this. And sometimes it would be a medical assistant. Sometimes it would be a pharmacist. You know, it generally wasn't the boss, uh, but someone would say, boy, this makes sense to me. I want to do more of this. And we would take those people and work with them and try and figure out how to skill them up rather than, you know, pushing people and forcing them to do things. Um, so one time, uh, you know, when I was a couple years in, I was at a national meeting and John Toussaint from ThetaCare in Wisconsin mm -hmm. is, a, you know, one of the luminaries of uh, lean in healthcare, asked me a question, you know, on the sort of national stage. He says, you know, what are you going to do about the cement heads? You know, the people who absolutely resist this. And I said, John, I have so many people who want to improve what they're working on. Why would I waste my time? on the people who absolutely resist this. Let's work where we can. Let's go where we can. Let's um, use the folks who want to bring this in and help them move along. Because they're, you know, in a place like ours with 30,000 people, you know, each touching a dozen processes and each process having a dozen steps, you know, there's so much work to be done and there'd be a few people here and there. So we, we moved primarily by that very organic process in fact, some of our biggest challenges were where, you know, the, the bosses would get hold of this and they would try and expand it too fast. Mm -hmm. One of them we had um, the worst morale was in one of our um, offices. It was actually a billing office. Uh, it was the worst morale in our entire group practice. And so they said, OK, you know, how bad could it be? Come on in and try this stuff here. So we created a little daily management system there with a huddle a huddle board and an idea system, you know, just very sort of minimum viable product. We came in there and they moved from the worst morale and willingness to recommend to one of the best in a matter of a few months. So the group that oversees them, our group practice said, this is great. We want you to expand it. We got them to do another five pilots. And they said, now we want all 140 clinics and we want them rolled out, uh, you know, within nine months. And, you know, that's, that's what would end up happening is people would take this and they would try to jam it faster than it actually can go. And so, you know, those kinds of efforts, well, there'd be some that would be good and some that would would kind of falter and we'd have to, you know, retrench and um, and uh, feed the ones that were doing well and try and do some diagnostic works on the ones that weren't. Well, Jack, um, a lot of our listeners are, are very well versed in lean and lean sure. principles. Some others are not. Yeah. When, when you when you were starting this and you were approaching people and, and you were very excited uh, about it, what and what was your what was your hook? What yeah. was your one minute 
you know, hey, th- this is this is what I want to do. This is what it is. You know, and, and they were asking questions. Well, what do you mean by lean? What 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 sure. are lean principles? Yeah. So we didn't use a lot of the word lean. Uh, you know, we called it the Michigan quality system. You notice mm-hmm. we didn't call it the Michigan management system because we felt we were nowhere near the point where we actually could put a management system. We were just trying to improve some stuff. And uh, what we would do is um, talk to him about what wasn't working today. You know, what was getting in the way of a good day at work um, and uh, try and uh, encourage them to think about why that was happening and what they might try uh, to improve that. So it was mostly a frontline empowering strategy. And um, that worked you know, for middle managers and frontline workers, because everybody has something that they don't like. Um, and when when they're working on on a project or working on a on a on a problem in their area and they need someone else's cooperation, we'd say, OK, you know, you got this little gem. You know what's causing you pain with it. But there's another part of this problem that bothers that other person. Can you just spin it a little bit and help them see that part of it? And then say, you know, ask them, if we could get rid of that problem for you, would that make a better day at work? Uh, and then use that to get them engaged. So it's mostly a frontline empowerment strategy to help people um, think about ideas they could try and then to try them uh, uh, and then reflect on the results. So obviously PDCA, plan, sure. do, check act, plan, do, study, act, or adjust on the smallest scale basis. And as one of my colleagues, Dave Lahote, would say, the goal is to make every idea implementable. In other words, your idea about this, how can I form that in a way that you could try it? And uh, you could try it today. You could try it this week, not waiting for the system. Um, So when, when we used A3s quite a bit to uh, teach people and um, in problem solving. And uh, my mentor, John Shook, taught me that, um, you know, on the uh, countermeasures or recommendation section, I had to have multiple countermeasures, some of which required no new money, no new space, no new people, no new information system, Jake, no upgrade. Uh, and, <laughs> we could start today. <laughs> and we could start today. Uh, to get people out of, you know, to use their creativity before their capital. So it was primarily an empowerment strategy that tried to focus on on um, what was the biggest problem and what experiment could they try uh, that would help. And most of the people we found were quite responsive to the frontline worker knows the work the best. And I have lots of anecdotes I would tell them about my having some bright idea and then the frontline worker telling me what's really going on there and showing how little I understood about the problem. And frontline workers love the frontline empowerment. Um, so we would uh, work with the frontline um, workers and managers to try and empower them to work on their own problems. You know, it's interesting. We had we had Stephen Spear on the podcast a couple of years ago, and, and yeah. that's what he he says, you know, ask people, you know, what stinks about your job and, and, yeah. and you know, or, or what bugs you as the two second the two second lean guy says. Yeah. So I use a lot of Spears work. I was actually at IHI with Steve Spear um, early on before they uh, um, 
sort of made their own kind of decisions about lean and uh, scientific problem solving. And um, Spear, uh, you know, I when they asked me what what I think lean is, I, I quoted Spear, who's sitting in the room with me there. Do mm-hmm. your work in a standard way. Be alert to things going wrong. Fix it now. Find and fix the root cause so it never happens again. And then spread by collaborative experimentation. So, um, so I use I use a lot of Steve Spears' work. He's just uh, tremendous. And then, so for the what we want people to do, it's pretty easy to say in four sentences. Imagine if everyone in your organization did those things every day. And then for how we want them to do it, I use the motto of Fujio Cho: Go see, ask why, show respect. And you know, in those seven points, you can actually get it almost all of lean thinking and scientific problem solving decentralized to every worker in the place is distillable down to those. So you you were talking earlier about some of the uh, mentees you've had over the years yeah. and how they've gone on to, you know, I guess have careers in, in lean and quality. And you know, we had Terry Platchett on a couple of weeks ago, who's <laughs> oh, yeah, highly yeah. of you. He sure uh, did. Tell, yeah. So tell us just a little bit about, you know, how you develop new leaders in this area and, and maybe some of the things they've gone on to do. Yeah, well, thanks very much, Jake. Uh, I'm so fortunate to have people like Terry who've gone on so far beyond where I am and, you know, accomplished so much and then misrecollect things that I taught them that I never actually <laughs> did. They learn themselves. They they develop their own new knowledge and, and are teaching me now every day. So I'll give you a perfect example, though. Um, so uh, I on uh, a week ago, I was um, teaching in our uh, medical library, which, by the way, has no books. It's just got rooms where people uh, connect with each other, which is great. And so I was teaching uh, this uh, faculty scholars program in quality and safety that we run. And um, uh, I'm walking down the hall and a person stops me and he's wearing a mask. So we had to figure out who each other was. And he had taken that faculty scholars program several years back and is now running a program for medical students uh, with a major, what we call a pathway of excellence in quality and safety. And he said, you know, I was just thinking about you because I was going to have you come in and teach the A3 section if you're willing to do that. So, um, you know, I think that uh, the the people that we touch, uh, the people who either learn from us or um, are that we've been formal mentors to, uh, they, you know, they go on and they they go places and do things that are like beyond our uh, imagination. And I've been really fortunate. Um, I ran a, a program for 20 years uh, for medical students about physicians as leaders and problem solvers. And um, many of those students, that's a program uh, Terry Placek took, um, went on to careers uh, in quality improvement. Uh, and a lot of it had to do with, uh, you know, it being a, a fortunate timing. Um, one of the trainees, Ryan Howard, was a general surgeon, and he took a rotation with me, and um, he wanted to reduce opioid use in laparoscopic cholecystectomy. And so, you know, working on our funnel mantra, you know, we'd say, okay, you know, want to reduce opioid prescribing by surgeons? That's really pretty big. Okay, what about just laparoscopic cholecystectomy? What about just the minimally invasive surgery service? That's a limited number of people. What about mm-hmm. just operating at one of our offsite locations, East Ann Arbor? And what about just their pre-op clinic? And by scoping it down so narrow, he was able to um, uh, reduce opioids from 40 pills prescribed 
to 14 in a matter of a month. This is a few years back. Um, but uh, that was, um, you know, I was so impressed at what he was able to do. And Ryan's gone on to win the Inspiring Quality Award at the University of Michigan. He's now uh, finishing up his uh, residency and uh, has a lifelong interest in uh, quality improvement. So in the same way that I didn't take typing when I was in high school, because who needs to type? And you can you imagine being a physician without keyboard skills now? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I keep telling folks uh, that being able to solve problems yourself and mentor others in problem solving is like typing was. You know, it's like keyboard skills. You can't possibly function unless you can do this. And we, we emphasize the three roles people have. Sometimes you're improving quality yourself directly. Sometimes you're coaching others to improve the process that they're working on. And sometimes you're leading others, which is creating the environment in which improvement can occur every day by every person. And so no matter who they are in the organization, big bosses or medium bosses or frontline workers, they're all doing those three things on a routine basis, creating the environment or coaching someone else uh, or leading. Uh, so uh, so we we created several of these kinds of experiences. Um, uh, my last three years, um, I worked on a program where we took um, a physician faculty, but also pharmacists, nurse practitioners, psychologists, um, PAs, and we did three workshops separated uh, by two weeks each. And they worked on a problem using the A3 model, and then we meet with the coach with them in between. They'd come back again, show their progress, coach with them in between. Um, and that group produced, oh, 100 or 150 uh, individuals who I feel like are so empowered to be able to work in their own areas. So, you know, my uh, advice for all the listeners of your podcast is you really don't know what impact you can have on the people around you, how they see you as a role model. They see you empowering other people and they see you empowered to not just accept the crappy workplace and environment you have now, but rather that you can change uh, this, uh, the way the work is done and make it better for your patients, better for your coworkers, and better for yourselves as well. You know, physicians have heard for a long time and nurses hear this a lot too. Well, it's going to be harder for you but it's going to be better for the patient. <laughs> you know, so we're here to give a little different message, which is it's going to be better for the patient. It's going to be easier for you. That's right. That's right. Anyone can add more work on any more. Anyone can add another screen to Epic, you know, but the question is how can we make it simpler and easier to do the right things? And how can you try something, an experiment, a little model that's so easy that you'll try today and see if it makes things better. So one of our uh, guys who came in, like Skip did from outside and uh, visited us, but also left us with great lessons, a guy named um, Flanders uh, said, low, low, easy, easy. You know, if, if you're the leader in this little area, if it's low cost, low risk, it's easy to set up and easy to take down, let's try it. <laughs> you know, sure. it's, it's a way of just empowering the people to do these experiments. You know, we, we talk about the two pillars of lean. You know, you've got respect for people and continuous improvement. And, and under that continuous improvement, um, 
you know, elimination of waste. That's that's a big that's a big thing. How? In your opinion, how much waste is there in in our healthcare system? And, and has has the University of Michigan has that been one of the things that that you guys have done is really focused on eliminating that waste? Yeah. So um, we don't really call it uh, waste elimination uh, so much because, um, in a way, the interaction between uh, the 3Ms, between uh, waste, understanding it and lowering it, the overburden on the people and the variability in the process is really a fairly complex um, uh, um, set of relationships. So what we try and do is, and this I borrow from my good friend, Dave Lahote, is what we're trying to do is get rid of the things that get in the way of your having a good day at work. So you can call that waste, but we try to use as little jargon as possible. Mm -hmm. And um, we say, well, let's talk about what's getting in the way of your having a good day at work. What's getting in the way of your wanting to do a good job for the people you serve, which includes, um, you know, not only patients, but coworkers. um, And um, so you can call that waste and you can categorize it on the eight types of waste and that sort of thing. But we really focus on um, the, 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 the problems people are having every day and what they would like to try to empower them. So I, I have this um, thing that I often say, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get into some problem at, at home or getting renting a car or whatever and say, oh, this is this is really a problem. They'll say to the worker, well, do you you see how much a problem this is? Yeah. You see how much pain it causes them? Yeah. Do you do you have any idea what causes? So, yeah. Do you have any idea what you could try to prevent that from happening? Oh, yeah. And then I ask him, well, why don't you try it? And that's it's that empowerment, that shift from I am a victim of this broken process to I think that I can try an experiment. It's pulling authority. It's manufacturing authority, as they would say in lean speak. Uh, to be able to run one experiment to try and uh, make things uh, better. So our our goal was always to have people take responsibility for a problem, even if they're not the designated authority. We have them pull responsibility, pull the authority to solve this problem, uh, and then to uh, to try an experiment uh, that would make things better for them and their colleagues. I think that's great, and I, I know we're getting close to to time but yeah. we were talking earlier before we started recording uh, i think you're doing a workshop on resiliency yes um and you know one of the things you just said you know uh, regarding allowing or giving that either a physician or worker the autonomy to solve that problem themselves you yeah. know i've heard that loss of autonomy loss of control kind of is is one of the drivers of burnout in the healthcare right. system how have you seen kind of that empowerment that you do affect burnout and resiliency? It's a great question, Jake. And I think that there is a direct alignment between uh, the root causes of burnout, the drivers of burnout, as it's sometimes referred to, uh, and the use of lean thinking. Uh, so instead of, uh, you know, a meditation session or uh, something like that to try and reduce stress and burnout. I can add a wellness module to Epic if you <laughs> want me to. Why don't we, <laughs> right, and, and make it mandatory. Why yeah. don't we, you know, the beatings will continue until morale improves. Absolutely. Uh, why don't instead we empower the people to find and fix the root cause of the most important problem they face daily? And why don't we empower their leaders not to tell them what to do, but to help, 
just to help. That's the role, the role of the worker, find and fix the root cause of the problem. The role of the leader is just to help. So, um, you know, I believe completely that the antidote to burnout um, is lean thinking, which is empowering frontline workers, not management engineers. I mean, we need them. You know, we need operations engineers. You got to bless them. I love them. But it's the frontline workers have to take the initiative to find and fix the root cause. And the leader's role in that um, is is just to help. Absolutely. We talk about, you know, let let them punch above the waterline. As long as they're not going to sink the ship, let them let them yeah. let them experiment so and try to fix problems. Based, yep, absolutely. Um, pull based authority is, uh, you know, the the way we go, because if you wait for the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the situated lever, the positional leader to take the responsibility and pull and, and try and fix all this stuff. First of all, they don't really understand it. Um, so what we really need to do is empower the people who are uh, closest to the work uh, to be uh, making the improvements themselves to what we call pull based authority to pull the authority to actually solve um, their own problems. Um, and then, uh, you know, the leader's job in that model is just to help. Um, and so, you know, we've tried to do that and we've made every mistake in the book. So um, I'll be I'll be doing a, a conference on uh, resilience uh uh, with a litany of mistakes um, when we get to um, uh, to the Lean Enterprise uh, 25th anniversary uh, summit in Tucson, um, and uh, it's uh, we're going to be there with uh, with lots of things that that didn't work and how we tried to recover from them. When did you say that was going to be? Oh, so that's uh, March. Uh, I think we're presenting March 9th. It's March okay. 8th and 9th in Tucson is the um, 25th anniversary Lean Enterprise Institute yeah, Summit. LEI, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, we've been, uh, you know, we've been fortunate to have very good uh, working relationship with LEI uh, and um, the uh, uh, Create Value, the Healthcare Value Network uh, uh, that was run out of Theta Care um, for many years. You know, we've learned from all these people, uh, but we'll be talking about a lot of the mistakes we made along the way um, and things that where we got shut down um, and, you know, how we tried to bounce back. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the people ask me, well, you've gotten rid of all low hanging fruit. And my experience is the more that you um, fix some of the low hanging fruit, the more fruit you see. This is Absolutely. an unusual fruit tree in that sure. it just keeps coming down. <laughs> you yeah, just right. More and more problems, as you say, well, that's the way we always did it. And now I realize that's a workaround. You know, why don't we get at the root cause and do it right the first time? Sure. Well, Jack, uh, this has been a great discussion. And uh, I mean, it's been an honor to, to, you know, to have you on the podcast, one of the, uh, you know, the founding fathers of, of lean and healthcare, and uh, what you've done started at Michigan. You know, it has spread, you know, it's, it's Stanford and, and, and all over the country. And it's just I appreciate you being on. We appreciate you uh, being uh, on the podcast and on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on the podcast again someday. Well, I appreciate the great work that you guys have done at uh, Baptist uh, and the contributions you've made nationally as well. Uh, they're just uh, spectacular. And, uh, you know, I don't think I ever had an original thought. I mean, but I sometimes I'm good at hearing something someone else says and and repeating it. And, you know, what you guys uh, have done is is very remarkable, including uh, connecting the dots. So thanks very much for the honor of uh, asking me to join. All righty.
Thank you so much and enjoyed talking with you. Thank you.